welcome to the very first episode of Real Talk with Jay. Um, I'm your host, Jay, or Jay Real on many of my uh, social media platforms, and I'm here with my co-host. Introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Jaslyn. <laughs> and as many of you know who follow me, I've been talking about doing this for over a year, but I've been really reluctant and just kind of talking myself out of it and doing other things, but I finally buckled down and decided to do this, and we're going to do this now. So we're going to go into a, a variety of different topics. Um, this podcast will vary on different types of topics. I mean, at times it could be very political. Um, we will not solely do that, though. We, we will bring on other guests from time to time to give their thoughts and opinions about different things, and it's going to be a wide range of topics and interest. But um, I did ask you guys to um, give us some questions to get us started here. So we're going to go through some of these questions and just give our opinions. Again, these are just our opinions and our thoughts, and we welcome any feedback from anyone listening. So let's get to it. Question number one. <laughs> Do you feel that things in this country are better now than they were 20 years ago? Uh, here's the problem with that. Yeah, I was going to say all that. <laughs> <laughs> you can speak up on that. Um, my feeling is, I feel like it's kind of a... Um, It's kind of an explosive question just because you can go one of two ways with it. The natural thing is to just say, yes, things are better than they were. Okay, but what's your definition of better? And to me, different isn't necessarily better. Are there people running around the streets right now with white hoods on and ropes hanging out the back of the pickup truck? Maybe in Mississippi, um, not in New Jersey right now. But does that mean there is no racism? Does it just look differently now? So to me, when you say are things better, I mean, certain things have changed, and they may be more beneficial or easier for certain people, but a lot of the elements that were there 20 years ago are still there now. A lot of the elements that were there 50 years ago are still there now. A lot of the things that were fought for just 30, 40 years ago are now being overturned. <laughs> so when you say, are things better? I mean, who's asking the question? Because I feel like people that ask that question, I'm not going after the person that gave this question. I appreciate the question. But I feel like a lot of people who put that out there are looking for a certain answer. They want you to go along with it and be kumbaya and just say, oh, we're so much better than we were then. We've learned so many lessons. Have we? Have we? I mean, I just did a post earlier today, again, about Garrett Foster and the governor and how the governor is ready to just pardon this man's killer as soon as it gets to his desk and the statements that this man made about black people in general and how he was out there looking to kill some black folks 
and how he compared them to monkeys, right? And wished that people in Europe can go out hunting for Muslims, right? I mean, does, does it sound really that much different than what we would have heard 20, 30, 40 years ago? And the actions of the governor, are they really that much different than what we would have seen in the 70s when they were marching across bridges trying to get civil rights? I mean, that's just the way I look at it. So to me, it's not really that much better. It's just different. What do you think? Truthfully, it's, like you said, it's different. It's not, in my eyes, it's not better. If it's better for anyone, it's better for, better for one specific group of people, not for everyone as a whole. Like, if you want to talk in terms of race, it's definitely not better for people that are African-American descent, any person of color, truly. If you want to talk in terms of generations, it's definitely not better for the two youngest generations we have going right now. Things are probably 10 times worse than what they were back then, actually, if you want to look at it that way. But no, I don't think it's better than it was 20 years ago. 20 years ago was the early 2000s. That, Truth be told, I think the early 2000s was a tad bit peaceful compared to right now. <laughs> I'm just saying. That, that is, that's actually a good point, because also this person didn't say in terms of race relations. They just said, you know, I mean, that wasn't in the question, the question, right? Nope. I just said 20. Because that, that's a good point, because you got to talk about what aspect do you mean, because 20 years ago, when I was still completing, you know, my schooling, it's like, there was not, you, you had a couple of singular events, right? I can't remember exactly when um, Columbine happened and that stuff like that. That was 1999. Okay, yeah, so that happened right when I was like, you know, starting um, into college or leaving high school and going into college. But like prior to that, there was no thought of any of us in school thinking about someone showing up and just slaughtering all of us. That was not a thought. Your fear of going to school was just getting beaten up, getting into a fight, somebody hitting you in the playground trying to fight you. Maybe you got jumped. That was your biggest fear. You did not think about someone showing up with <laughs> a military grade weapon and just mowing everybody down. And that's the reality that these kids have to deal with right now. So in that aspect, no, it's worse than it was 20 years ago. So, and you could say the country, you know, there's some people that say the country's more divided now than it was before. I don't think it's more divided, but I think it is more acceptable to show exactly how divided you are. <laughs> It's like there's media outlets that'll now give you the platform to really go in depth in it to whereas before they tried to pretend like we were the United States of America when we never really were completely united, but they at least tried to portray that. That was part of the propaganda of it all. But in that aspect, no, it's not better. It's far worse. 
As I am saying, as a, as a fifth grader, a shelter-in-place drill should not be something on the list of things to do for the school year. <laughs> I'm just saying. In case an active shooter comes in, I shouldn't have to know how to hide in a classroom. I shouldn't have to know. Like, I should be doing the things that normal kids do, like a fire escape. Like, I, we did fire drills day in and day out. They did one once a quarter, once every couple of months we did one. That's normal to me. They teach you to stop, drop, and roll from the time you can breathe. But for me to have to, as a five-year-old, because that's how, av how old the average kid is in kindergarten, for me as a five-year-old to have to now think, um, well, let me go figure out how I can run from someone with an assault rifle that I can't possibly outrun even if I tried. Just like when that last school, the most, the school shooting that was in Texas, the little girl said that she took the blood of her friend that had been killed in front of her and wiped it on her so that the person shooting would think she was dead already. Why, is a, why does a, a seven, six, eight, nine-year-old thinking about something like that? That's not normal. To, and for everyone to think it is, it's just insane. My son had a similar conversation with me about that, about what to do in order to play dead. I had to at one point a few months ago, I actually was Googling and checking the prices of bulletproof Kevlar inserts for backpacks. That's not something our parents had to do. So it's, it's insane to me that that's the reality of things. And it's like, you mentioned the fire drills, it's like, I remember Smokey the Bear coming in to, and then the firefighters giving you the plastic hats. The, the thing with the fire drills is the firefighters came in and they actually made you feel like you could be responsible for your own safety. If you felt the door with the back of your hand, if you covered your mouth, for, to protect against smoke inhalation, if you stayed low to the ground, if you stopped, dropped, and rolled, and you could safely get out of the situation. That's not even what these kids are getting. They're just getting hide here, stay silent, and hope that you're not next. Like, it's, it's insane to me, but it's, the new norm and the new reality and the fact that it's all things that are under the control of adults, just adults that don't want to be without their toys. And people who put profit above the well-being of children because their children aren't in the direct line of fire. I don't know if anybody watches uh, the show New Amsterdam, but it was on Netflix. It's over now, but the first four seasons were on there. One of the episodes, there was a principal who faked a person coming in and shooting up the school. And I remember watching that episode, and the one doctor, um, I forget What's what his last name is. New Amsterdam. Oh, wow. I forget what the doctor's last name is, but in the show, it's Dr. Iggy. That's his first name. Ignatius is his full name. He's the psychiatrist at New Amsterdam Hospital. New Amsterdam and Hospital in the show is supposed to be like the oldest public hospital in the country or whatever. Um, it was based in like Manhattan somewhere. I'm pretty sure it's based off the actual hospital that is in that area of Manhattan. But anyways, this episode, the principal fakes a shooting. This one girl goes into a full-fledged panic attack and they never told the parents about it either. 
So, so many kids are coming home, traumatized, freaking out. This one girl, she would go to school and leave. She wouldn't stay the whole day. She kept skipping class. And finally, she got in trouble for truancy, I'm assuming. And they forced her to go talk to Dr. Iggy in the show. And she's like, I can't stop seeing my friend with a bullet in her head. And it wasn't even like it was real. They picked certain kids to act on it, act in on the situation the kids couldn't tell. So this poor innocent girl is, you know, coming to school that day. She walks out in the hall because she was in the bathroom. She comes out and her friend's laying on the floor with a bullet in her head. And now there's a guy standing at her with an assault rifle. So to see that in a TV show and then come, then you think about it, that's actually a real thing that's happening entirely too often in this country is actually kind of scary. That's, wow. Wow, yeah, I've never seen that show before, but that's, that, that's crazy. She, she kept, the principal kept saying, well, I thought it would help them if, if it was real live or if it felt real. I'm like, you probably just traumatized them. Because exactly. the psychiatrist asked, he said, did anyone feel scared? And of course, you know, it was like middle school kids, so they don't want to admit defeat because all their bullies are there. It was the entire school sitting in this meeting with, with Dr. Iggy. And then he said, he started asking further questions, and then eventually the entire student body was standing around him in the gym because he asked, I believe the final question he asked was, were you afraid that you weren't going to go home that, that night? And all the kids got up off the bleachers and walked down by him. And he was giving them tips on how to deal with the trauma they just faced. And the principal just kept saying, she's like, I'm sorry, I thought I was helping them. No, you weren't. You probably just made it 10 times worse than if it had been a real situation. Because now they're terrified to come back to school. Uh, let's pause for one second. So I'm going to have to edit all of this out. We were just having a conversation because somebody who will remain nameless <laughs> did a whole Grand Theft Auto thing and <laughs> was trying to run through the door and then got their shirt caught, their sleeve caught on the door. And Don't what you did you that? say? Don't you hate that when you get mad and you walk past the door and your pocket get caught on the doorknob and you be ready to fight everything, <laughs> everything in your sight, whether it's breathing or not? <laughs> But that does happen. It's like, it's like to me, it's like um, when you bite that spot in your mouth and you just keep biting it over and over again after that. It's like once it happens one mm. time, it's just all downhill from there. That happens with me with my tongue. You would think after the first time you move it out the way. It just doesn't occur. <laughs> no. It just doesn't occur. No, not at all. I don't know what that is. I feel like, I don't know. I don't know either. It's like masochistic in some type of way. I think it's like subconscious. Like you're just trying to just... Well, they say that your jaw is powerful enough to bite your finger off. It's just your brain stops it because it knows it's your finger. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. <laughs> the human body is weird. That it is. <laughs> just weird. I often like to, so I watch like these little, oh, we're going to get back on topic in a minute, guys, but just, <laughs> I like to look at these shows where they show like animals and these creatures that you haven't seen before, and I just like to watch these real bizarre looking creatures, and I just feel like, what was God thinking like that day in particular? Like I feel like it was just He'd like, just be making anything. Yeah. <laughs> 
like when they say God has a sense of humor, like I believe that fully. Because it's just some things, there's no rhyme or reason. It's just like, why does it look like that? There's this bird. I can't remember the name of this bird. I just saw it. Ah, oh, I'm going to have to. It's, um, it's got like a big bill, um, almost like a pelican. But it stands upright on like, it, it's just straight up, right? Mm-hmm. And it's pretty tall. So it's a man bird instead of a man pigeon. It's like a prehistoric looking. It looks like something from Jurassic Park, but it's like alive Like a pterodactyl? Now. But it doesn't fly. I can't remember what this thing is called. I really wish. You know what? Let me. I. Now you got to Google it. it won't, you won't let it go to bed. <laughs> yeah, like I really need to remember. Like I know there's somebody. I mean, you right watch now. random shows about animals. I just be watching random documentaries and then I fill myself with knowledge I don't need to know. Like, why do I know that redheads have a genetic mutation that causes them to need 20% more anesthesia than the average person? Why do I know that? I don't even <laughs> be watching stuff that gives me knowledge that is useful on a day-to-day basis. Why do I know that? You know what? I had the name of this bird in my head, but I didn't think it was a real, the, really the name. I thought it was something I made What's, up. You talking about Dodo Bird? No. It is really called the Shoe Bill Stork. <laughs> I knew that. I knew Shoe Bill. I didn't know Stork. Uh, shoe bill also, the stork, my head. storks are real. The shoe bill stork, though, this is the most menacing looking. Like right now, if you're listening to this, go Google. <laughs> <laughs> go Google a shoe bill stork. Shoe bill stork. And then make a comment as to what you think <laughs> that thing looks like. This is the, like, look at this thing. What? Wait, why is it glitching? What is that? You know look, what it looked like? Look at its face. It looked like Big Bird on crack. It, it is the <laughs> the meanest look. Look at that face. It looked like Big Bird <laughs> on crack. Like, if you were to give Big Bird crack and see what happens, that bird is the result. <laughs> <laughs> like, take like, Big Bird for Sesame Street, put them on crack. Like, if you saw that, like, peeking out of, like, some foliage in the woods. You're I'm gone. You, what, yeah. you, what, what are you saying? That's like, that's like seeing a moose. <laughs> After you posted that video on your TikTok and I found out how big a moose is in comparison to a human, oh, yeah. I'm going to be gone. You won't be able to find me. There will be no finding <sighs> me. When you find me again, I'm going to be locked behind a locked steel door. <laughs> that's why, like, to me, like, people that live in certain parts of Canada or Alaska and stuff, they're just a different breed of people. If anybody who lives in Australia is a different breed of human. Yeah, well, they're, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Australia is a beautiful place, but you just, you know, going outside is an adventure. You ever you ever listen to Steve Harvey stand-up? The happened? one about him being in Africa? Steve Harvey stand-up about him being in Africa? Yeah. And he's talking about how big the mosquitoes are? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that, that, I love to travel, and I want to see the world. But you want to know what deters me? Bugs, because just in my head, I can't understand why God looked at a mosquito and was like, "Yep, we need that." <laughs> like, I don't understand. And like a hornet, though, it's like bees have a purpose. Hornets are completely useless. If you look up and research hornet, like there's no purpose for these things. Like, like I can't stand spiders, but I understand they eat the bugs out your garden and stuff. But when they get in my house, behind my locked door, where I pay mortgage, they no longer have a purpose. They got to die. <laughs> I don't care what kind they are. They got to die. Uh. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so the questions. We, 
I think we covered the first one. So we're going to move on to the second question, I guess, right? Yeah. So what's the second question? It says, what are your thoughts on police reform? Oh, you can go first because I want to be a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, so coming from someone who knows a great deal about the New Jersey court system, um, police reform... Wait a minute. Full disclosure, I will vouch that my co-host has some knowledge about <laughs> this particular subject. We're not going to go into detail about it because there are reasons. Yeah. Just like there are reasons that you are only getting the first name of my co-host, <laughs> which may or may not be my co-host's real name. <laughs> we'll just leave it there. That's all you really need to know. But I just want to let you know that this is not something that she's just making up. She has knowledge in this field. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Thanks for the warning label. <laughs> Anyways, um, as far as police reform, how do I say this in a way that all the, you know, blue livers aren't going to try and bite my head off? Um, See, that's why I have to go second, because I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I think, for one, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because you are a little bit more knowledgeable than I am when it comes to history, but from what I was always taught, the police force, what they originated from was not what people think it is, okay? What I was always taught going through school is that they started as slave, slave patrols. Yeah. They were literally people who were supposed to go and catch runaway slaves. They were not police force. They were not out here protecting your rights. They were not out here protecting you. Um, we had personal militias, which is where the Second Amendment comes from that y'all want to hold on so tightly to, like it's your breath. Anyway, um, so to reform the police, I'm not saying that it's 100% impossible, but it would have to involve there being a strictness. Now, I know that due to my background, um, police tend to have an understanding amongst each other that they're going to protect each other no matter what. No matter what happens, what goes down, how wrong they are, they're going to stand by each other. It, like, y'all know that meme, and then she's like, that's my man, I'm going to stick beside him. That's how the police act. <laughs> so to say reform them, is it possible? Yes, but that would mean having to break down the entire system that the police stand from and, and come from, which would then in turn mean destroying the entire buildup of this country and restarting it from scratch. So can the police be reformed? Yes, but are you willing to tear down the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The so societal uh, programs and instances and quote unquote laws that aren't really laws, they're just society laws, so they're not what's written in black and white, it's what society thinks should go. Are you willing to take tear down all those standpoints to then reform them? Because you can't, like as much as you know, people are gonna say, oh, if you just do what the police ask you, they're gonna be nice. I was like, I when people tell me that I get upset because I'm like, even though I have the background that I have, I myself have had instances where the police have just been downright nasty for no reason. I was what, I have just gotten my license, I was like 17. Wait a minute. <laughs> Don't go too far into that yet because I believe that's one yeah, of that's the one questions. Yeah, that's one of the questions. But so when save I was, that story. So when I was 17, I had an instance with them, and I'm after that, that totally changed my outlook on them. I don't, 
like you're 17. I just got my license. I was like a month or two from turning 18. Like, and from then I've been tainted. And I've had other instances where I've been tainted by cops. There are cops that live in my neighborhood and I don't even associate with them unless I have to. So I work with cops and I don't even talk to them unless I have to. Mm. It's as a black person walking through this country, you can't have the same. And I feel bad saying this because I say this to my dad a lot. And my dad is a former Marine. And, you know, whenever I get mad at him for him doing things, I'm like, you don't understand as black people, even though they say we're all created equal, we do not have the same rights that our counterparts do. Yeah. You can't go out here just doing what you want to do because you want to do it because you know there's a law protecting you. That law doesn't really protect you. It protects your counterparts. It does not protect you. They will find some way to move it and make it that what you did was illegal, no matter how legal it is. That's why, to bring it back to the question, can police be reformed? No, unless, yes, if you're willing to take down the system, but no, if you're not willing to take it down. Go ahead, because I know you're about to be over here for like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to start this off this way, first of all. Words are important. They get on us a lot. I mean, certain activists a lot about terminology of things. There are certain people that don't like terms like defund the police. So since words are so important, I'm going to talk about this for a minute. So reform. The definition, the Webster's definition of reform is to make changes in, right? And it says something typical or social, political, or economical in order to improve. Make changes, right? My thing is, are we talking reform? Or a word that's close to that being transformed, which is make a thorough or dramatic change in the form, appearance, or character of. Just by those definitions alone, reform is not the same as transform. Reform seems to be something minor. You can make a few tweaks to something when somebody talks about reforming something. You can make slight alterations, which is what we've gotten a lot of. Oh, well, the police just need more training, right? They need a little more funding to do this or to do that, right? They just need to hang out in the community a little longer. You know, they, we, we, we need to have conversation, coffee with a cop, things like this, right? And that'll change things. And again, when we talk about what you were saying, you know, the origins of it all and everything and just where it started, and you talk about reform, it's like, what are you reforming it to? And what small tweaks can you make to change this thing that was so fundamentally evil? Because that's really what it was. The mentality of a slave catcher catching someone who is enslaved against their will and seeking freedom and taking that individual back to their oppressor or possibly just killing them in the process to go back to that life, that's evil. I don't care how anyone else wants to shape it. I don't care if they want to teach this in history class. I don't care if somebody gets offended by it. I don't care if someone's child feels bad because their ancestors participated in this. It is what it is. It's, it's reality. And grandparent participated in it. Yes, which is why they don't want a lot of the history taught because at some point one of these kids is gonna see grandma or grandpa in one of these photos. 
Let's talk about that. But seriously, it's like reform. These aren't small things. If you insist upon having this structure, which is already oppressive and already flawed by nature, simple little tweaks aren't going to do anything other than just giving you something to say that you did something. Oh, look what I did. That's all it's going to do. It's not going to improve the livelihood of anybody. It's not going to make things better for the people that are most affected by this. It would take drastic and extreme changes like we're talking about in transformation, but nobody's talking transformation. Everybody's talking reforming, and we've been hearing reform, reform, reform for decades now. And more and more money is put into the idea of reform, and nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. We still have the same issues. We still have the same problems. The only thing that has changed is technology and the aspect that more people are able to see the things that have been going on for decades. That's the only thing that's changed. Nothing has gotten better because nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to talk about actually just turning it all up on its head. You hear abolitionists talking about just, you know, destroying the whole thing and starting all over again, and people get very defensive about that. Oh, we can't do that or whatever. Even just taking funding away from it is a hot topic, you know, even when you're telling the people, you know, explaining we're not taking all the funding away, we're taking certain funding away and reallocating that money to other programs that would better serve those in the community. No, we can't change anything. Well, if you're so unwilling to change the small things, how are you going to have reform when reform is just changing small things? It's, it's, to me, it's just a diversion. It's a diversion. It's, it's thoughts and prayers. That's what it is. Because, yes, thoughts and prayers are necessary, but action is necessary, too, on our behalf, right, when it comes to gun control and school shootings. But they don't want to talk about that or actually act, so they just throw the thoughts and prayers out you at you, right? So the same in the same way, that's what they do with reform. They just say, "Oh, well, we're just going to reform things. We're we're going to make things a little bit better." But they don't want to actually address the issues. They don't want to actually delve into it. These are the same people when every single time something happens, they want to just say it's a few bad apples, but they don't want to talk about the roots of the tree. Right. It's so much easier to just focus on, well, that was just one incident here, one incident there, but they don't want to talk about the collective. When you put the collective out there, then it's undeniable that the entire system is corrupt. But the reason why is because they don't want it to change because it doesn't affect them. And that's what it all boils down to. It's like it doesn't affect them directly. It's not affecting them because they live in communities that are under police, that don't have police just roaming around the streets every hour of the day just stopping people because, right? So they don't, their interactions when they do deal with police are favorable because they're not being treated the same way. They don't fit the description. They're not put in situations on a daily basis where their lives are in danger. So it's very easy to sit there from your ivory tower and just say, 
it's not a problem, or these people just need to comply, or it's, when I hear reform, it honestly just, it makes me angry, because that's really what it is to me, it's just dismissive. It's just clearly people that don't wanna really address the real problem, so reform is a hot thing for me when I hear that word, it's, it's a four letter word to me. To take it back to what you said about it's just a few bad apples, I feel like there are certain careers in life that you can't have bad apples in. Yes. You cannot have a bad apple police officer. They're going to end up hurting someone. You can't have a bad apple EMT. Yes. They have someone in crisis in the back of their ambulance. They're not taking care of them correctly. That person's dead when they could have been saved. It could have been something as simple as um, their insulin is shot and they needed, they needed a shot of whatever to bring their insulin back up and that EMT didn't know that. Yes. You can't have... A bad apple firefighter. So someone's house is on fire. They're on the third floor, and what could have been the most simple thing to retrieve them, the firefighters down there playing around. Now two people lost their lives unnecessarily. You can't have a bad apple doctor. If I'm getting ready to go into surgery, my doctor talking about some ah, oh, well, you know, we'll figure it out. No, sir. What is the exact plan? I need a playbook. Yes. Open it. Show me step by step what you finna do. There's certain careers you can't just have a bad apple. You can't have a bad apple attorney because you're going to end up with a life sentence when all you were supposed to get was like about a year flat, maybe a 364 in your local county jail. But now you're spending 10 years in state prison because your attorney didn't know what he was doing. Really, if you want to think about it, every job that there is out here really can't afford to have a bad apple because there's going to be something that's going to affect that. So me personally, when I hear people say, when, you, when we're like, oh, abolish the police, defend the police, or reform them, and people are like, oh, it's just a few bad apples, that's something you can't have bad apples in. Because now innocent people are being hurt. Another show, um, I forget what it's called, but it's a show about the fire station, I think it's like Station 19. One of the episodes, two of the firefighters end up getting arrested by the police because the police are being very dismissive and ignorant of this black mother's a uh, gripe. Now you guys are probably like, you watch a lot of TV. No, TikTok needs to stop putting whole TV shows on my dad on For You page. That's what's up. Anyways, um, as long story short, this girl and her friend got kidnapped by some guy, some random guy in the neighborhood. He ended up being a, you know, child predator, a pedophile. And he lied about kidnapping those girls. Those girls were smart enough that they set a fire in his basement, which gave the, fi the off-duty firefighters that were called to this issue the opportunity to be able to go in his house and find those girls. The same pedophile now lies and says those girls broke in and set fire to his house. He wanted charges pushed. And the police are being very dismissive and rude to the young black girls. And as a black woman society myself, I, when seeing that, I thought about all the little girls I was friends with growing up that had things happen to them and the police never believed them. And I was like, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. If that, and I've been in those shoes, but I was able to get past it on my own. May have not been healthy ways to get past it, but I was able to get past it. I know girls that are so stuck in that place. They're grown women now, and they're so stuck in that place they were when whatever happened to them happened. So you can't have bad apples and just say, and just dismiss it. Oh, there's always gonna be a bad one somewhere. That's something you cannot have mistakes in. Yeah. You can't. I'll, as someone that's in the court system, like I said earlier, when I'm at work and police are writing the wrong things on police reports, come and they get, then we get video evidence that completely contradicts the complaint written, 
now we have to have that complaint deleted and have it reissued properly. That that is a lot of work. You can if if we don't catch that when we're combing through, because you know we're just passing papers along and nobody looks at it long enough to pay attention. That's somebody getting locked up for something unnecessarily, getting charged with something unnecessarily. You can't have a bad apple in your police department. That's that, that's not something you can just oh. It'll fix itself. That's not something that's going to fix itself. There's another show. It's about policemen. I forget what, what is it, like Chicago PD or something like that. There's this one cop who's habitually racist, and his rookie partner is a young black man whose father is the head something of the investigators or whatever, of the, of the department somewhere. He's a head somewhere. To the point where this young black man was so afraid to report this person he's supposed to be training with that eventually he got to the point where he flipped and reported him anyway, and he ended up getting grief for it from everyone else. Like, you can't have bad apples. You can't have racist cops. The, as a cop, you're supposed to, you're, you're, your oath is to serve and protect. As yes. a doctor, your oath is to treat people and not harm them. As a nurse, your oath is to treat people and not harm them. As an EMT, your oath is to treat people and not harm them and get them to the hospital to give them whatever help you can't give them. As a firefighter, you're supposed to go and rescue those people from the fire and make sure they're not hurt. You take oaths when you take these jobs. As someone working, as someone for the court system, you, you promise to abide by your canons that you sign off on. You agree that you are going to give people their liberty and their justice. There's trainings going on right now where you have to, it's called loss of liberty training. And they're teaching you about how to keep people's freedom intact, not, um, not unintentionally get someone locked up because you don't address their bench warrant or you don't vacate their bench warrant, you don't execute it out of the system so it's not still showing active. So the police have no reason to pick them up and take their freedom away. Like, you can't have bad apples. In just the law itself, you can't have bad apples there. It doesn't work. You can't have a, you can't have a rogue judge. You can't have a rogue bailiff in the courtroom. You can't have a rogue attorney. You can't have a rogue court staff people that are processing the paper done in court. You have to, you can't have bad apples. That, that line alone bothers me. It's not like we're talking about a legit bowl of apples and one happens to be bad and then ends up ruining the whole thing. Like, and truthfully, if you know that you've got a rogue cop in your department and you close your eyes, you're just as bad in my eyes. Yeah. If you know about it and you do nothing about it, you are just as bad. Question. Okay, so at your job, if someone who is processing the paperwork of someone perhaps has a grudge, maybe against a certain person, maybe the person didn't treat them nicely or said something rude to them, and they decided on their own to falsify the documentation so this person would get arrested, what would happen to that person? So what's supposed to happen? Because um, as we know, all systems are corrupt. So what's supposed to happen? One, if you see someone's name come across your desk and you know you know them, even if, now me, I'm kind of dumb. I worked in the county where I live. So I tend to see people from high school all the time. When, when you see someone that you know, you're supposed to hand over their papers to your coworker. You're supposed to say, hey, I know this person, I can't do it. That's what you're supposed to do. It's supposed to be, you're supposed to be impartial. Like, you are not supposed to show any way or form. Like, I'm not supposed to do anything that is politically sound one way or another. I'm not supposed to protest. I'm not supposed to post my political views on anything. I'm not supposed to um, 
have, this sounds crazy, but I'm not supposed to have a religious standpoint. And if I do, it has to be something kept secretive. Literally everything you do, you have to report. So if I get a second job, I have to report it. If I decide to join some nonprofit thing, and it could be something simple like feeding the homeless, I have to report that. And if they go and research it and they find out that they're affiliate, affiliated with like a religious group or with a political group or anything like that, I can be told that I can't do it or that I'll lose my job. So to answer your question, when you come across someone you know, you're supposed to hand their paperwork over. Now, if you don't and you decide to continue to work on it, they're expecting you to do it impartially. So now I'm human. I have um, emotions. I have feelings and thoughts and opinions on things. One thing that's always been hard for me is seeing ch child cases, cases where children are being abused, um, sexually assaulted, things of that nature. Yeah. Those cases, I mean, I could be in a good mood smiling, I'll, something like that comes across my desk and I'm ready to throw hands. Yeah. Like, it's disturbing because in my mind, it's a child. That child can't defend themselves against you and you took full advantage of that. You're just an evil person. So you're supposed to be impartial. Let's say, example, you did something and your file came across my desk. Being as though I know you, I'm supposed to hand your file over to my coworker and say, hey, I know this person, I need you to do their file. I'll take one of yours in, in, in exchange. If I don't do that and I decide to keep it anyway, I can't go because I know you and we're cool and be like, ah, well, I, he probably ain't really mean to do that. Let me scratch this off. Because if that comes back to me, that's my job. That's my bills, that's my livelihood, that's my health insurance, that's everything for me. Um, if it's someone I don't like, I can't go be a If jerk. it's a warrant with my name on it, though, you could at least uh, send a brother a text message so I can. <laughs> Yo, know. you're annoying. If it's someone I don't like, <laughs> I can't sit there and add another 2C code to his charging document because I'm like, ah, oh, he probably did this too because you know that's the type of person he is. You have to be impartial. And I can say, as angry as I get, I have never once done anyone dirty at work. I haven't. No matter how sickening your crime may have been, I may have to sit your file down for a second and come back to it later, but I've never done anything that would have jeopardized that person's freedom or jeopardized their equal right to trial or their equal white right to have their day in court. I would never do something like that because what I've also learned, people can be very manipulative. Granted, I knew that before I started working there, but seeing it face to face, especially when it comes to domestic violence cases, it's kind of scary. <laughs> Like, yeah. it is scary how manipulative a human can be. You can see every sign that proves that they're wrong, but they know a way to say it to you and, and form the situation so that you look crazy. And again, when you have these cases, you're sitting there and you're like, but like this person really did this? Like, are we sure? That's why I'll admit, I used to be judgmental at first. I used to be like, lock, lock them up, throw away the key. Why are we wasting state taxes? Like, yeah. what are we doing? But then I used to see things. I would see evidence from cases. I would hear attorneys talking to their clients in the hallway. And I'm like, hey, yo. The couple of times I've had to go down to court to observe, and I'm like, what, what in the world is this? Like, who are you? Like, who raised you that you thought that, th that any of this was okay? So to answer your question, you're supposed to have the honesty within yourself to hand that file over. But if you don't and you're caught later, any repercussions you get, which is 95% of the time termination, it's totally on you. You brought that to yourself. Because if you, I don't care how angry you are, at least give that person their day in court. Because if you see that they're guilty, based on the evidence given, I'm sure that judge sees it, I'm sure that jury sees it, 
I'm sure that defense attorney sees it, but the defense attorney is getting paid to get them out. I've heard defense attorneys in the hallway like, I don't know what I'm gonna do about this one. Like, y you, you can't help but see people's flaws, but you don't get to be judge, jury, or executioner. And that's the same thing with the police. That's why they need, they, like you said, it can't be reformed. It needs to be transformed. It needs to be totally knocked down and redone because they are not judge, jury, and executioner, and that's what they keep doing. Well, the question, like I asked the question because it sounds like, okay, you ultimately, at some point when this was found out, that the person would presumably lose their job. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest problem that people have with law enforcement is they don't lose their job. There's no accountability. Nope. There's no accountability. And at this, with this position that has so much responsibility and can affect so many people, because we talk about bad apples and they, they want to talk about singular people. But I've done stories on TikTok where it's been one officer found to be corrupt. Okay, they found that in this one case that he was corrupt. And then later on, they found out that this other case, and you find out that this officer has been with the department for 20 years. And, all and you can trail back all of these cases that he had his hand in, that now you have to reopen these cases and who knows who's behind bars, who's died, who's whatever behind this person. So when you talk about this one apple and they try to make it seem like it's a small problem. It's not because these officers have a huge responsibility. Well, there's also, um, I don't know if anyone knows, it was a thing, but there was an officer who was forging cases yeah. in our county and we had to reopen like everyone he ever wrote a complaint for. And that was like five years, four or five years worth of cases because he started in 2019, that's when he started doing it. And we've been reopening cases, resentencing people, and I'm like, nobody caught this in four years. So how many people went away, life sentences, um, time, that this is time they can't get back. And you know, some people do sue the state or they sue the police department when they're done. They get a measly like what, about a million dollars here or like you took that person's life away. There's no amount of money that you can give them that will replace that. Taxpayer dollars, by the way. Right. Like, there's no amount of money that you can give them that will fix that. Yeah. Like, the same thing with the um, Central Park Five. There's, to me, that whole situation, there was no amount of money, no, no nothing that you could do to give those young men their life back. The Central Park Five that um, our former uh, president, uh, Agent Orange, still thinks are guilty, <laughs> by the way. Agent Orange. Hey, yo. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's going to have a matching jumpsuit hopefully soon, but I don't know. I'll believe that when I see it. Anyway. Hey. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's like that whole point, that aspect of it. Because to me, you talked about all the different professions and stuff like that and the oaths. And it's like with any other job. I, I, I used to do research um, um, studies uh, for different organizations. Um, I can't mention them because I had to sign paperwork or whatever, but basically survey stuff that you would see that comes up on certain things. This amount of people are in favor of this and stuff. It would range from medical, um, medical questions to political things to whatever. And in the process of this, 
um, I had to pick up a landline phone and make these calls. And I, I was at this job, and I had problems with my phone. They kept telling me I was having problems with the particular phone they kept putting me on. And they used to have people listen in on the phone. And there was a girl there who, for whatever reason, just had a problem with me. So she kept saying that I was hanging up on people when I was clearly telling everyone there that my phone was disconnected. The point is, I lost that job because they felt that I was, wasn't doing my job correctly. I was hanging up on people, whatever. If you work at McDonald's and you're bad you know, at the register and you're, you know, short, you know, your drawer's coming up short or whatever because you're not giving the correct change or whatever it is, eventually you lose your job, right? All these places you go, no matter what profession you're in, eventually you lose your job. Even as a doctor, okay, you have malpractice insurance, but there's a certain point, you kill enough people, (laughs) they're not going to want to insure you anymore. The hospital is not going to want to deal with you anymore, right? Not even that. As a doctor... Some of them, you get one malpractice yeah. lawsuit, and that's it. That's I know. curtains for you. Yeah. And this is the only profession that we say that incompetence is acceptable to the point where even if there's a suspension, it's a suspension with pay. Even if, okay, we don't want them on the force anymore, often it's we let them retire. They're sitting at home with a pension, and somebody's dead. And even if the family gets money from them, it's taxpayer money. It's not money coming from their pension. Mm-mm. And we just say it's acceptable. Nobody goes to jail. There's no real accountability for there's anything. No consequence for these actions. Yeah, which if there's no consequence. What's stopping you from just doing whatever you want to do? Because why not at the end of the day? And that's just like the biggest part of it for me. It's just like there there can't be reform in a system that's set up that way that's put about to be that way. I mean, it's beneficial to a lot of people. You know, most of the things that happen happen behind routine traffic stops. We hear so many stories about it, right? But the routine traffic stops provide funding (laughs) for certain areas, right? They want to write those tickets. And they hope that they can find, the officers individually hope that they can find something else to write you up for, bring you up, bring you in for once they do that stop. It's their gateway into what else can we get. So why would you want to reform or change a system that's beneficial to you and your agenda? But uh, I'm going to just leave it there because I know we have more questions. <laughs> I told you, I, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Touchy subject. Um, so the third question is, why are you a Democrat? <laughs> that's a very strange question because I don't affiliate with either party. Um, uh, Okay, so Democrat, it's a funny thing because I don't necessarily consider myself a Democrat. I've I've voted Democratic. I feel like essentially most black people will say they vote Democratic, but if you really break down the things that they're interested in, it's not always necessarily Democratic. There's... 
I think that's another thing. People outside of the black community will lump us all in and think that we all believe the same things, and that's not true. There are some black people that are more liberal-minded, and there are some black people that are more conservative-minded. It's just the majority of black folks tend to vote in what they believe is their best interest, which is how you should vote. You should vote. The problem is I just can't stand the two-party system. I think the two-party system is just flawed. And it's not even how our country was founded. I mean, you look into the founding of our country, it was like there wasn't the Republican Party and Democratic Party. There were many different aspects. did George Washington parties. tell us not to make parties anyway? Yeah. <laughs> there was... You have so... It's so extreme now. You have polar opposites within the same party. And it's like, I'm sorry, but... You have Democrats that consider themselves to be conservative Democrats or moderate Democrats. And if you listen to the stuff that they're saying, it's not that far away from a lot of the people on the right side. It's just, they're just saying that this is their party, but they're miles away from those on the more progressive side. It should not be the same party. But they also have the numbers, so they just bulldoze their way past the ideas of the people and the progressive side of things. So it's like, if you fall into one camp or the other, it may be beneficial for you to be Democrat. It may not be, because if nothing that you want is getting accomplished, then at the end of the day, you're sitting near at the poll, and you're just like, okay, so my choice is like when Biden came about. <laughs> I spent, I want to say, at least 15 minutes staring at that ballot before I like clicked on Biden's name. I didn't want to vote for Biden. I had no interest in voting for Biden. I talked about that for a while. I wanted to vote for Bernie, personally. Same. But you get into a position where they take away all of your options and say, well, there can only be one person, and this is who we support, whether you support them or not. And then your options are, do I vote for the person who I know is not going to make any changes that are going to help me at all, or do I vote for the person that I know is going to make things worse? That should not be your options. It's like, okay, so it's I the can... Battle, it's the battle of the lesser two evils. Yeah. That's... I'm what, um, I am about to be 27 years old, so I've been able to vote for, what, almost 10 years now? And every time I go to vote, I'm like, so which one is less evil? Let's go there. <laughs> That's where we're going today. Which one is probably... It's probably still going to hell, but isn't going to hell as fast as the other one. Yeah. <laughs> so... We, we, you don't, there's not really options. No, there's not. It's like, so okay, so many people turned out, so many black folk turned out for Obama. Okay, there were so pe some people who really believed that it was going to be fundamental change. But there were also people that just voted for him just for the sake of history. They wanted to be able to say that one of us was up there, to have their kids look up at the board of all those white faces and at least see one that looks something like this. And I'm not going to lie, I was one of those people. Yeah. Because I... That's I, why I did it. When we were in school, when Obama got elected, that was, what, 2008? So I was in sixth grade? I was in sixth grade. And we did mock votes. Every year I was in school, that was our teacher's thing, we did mock votes. And that year when we had to do the presidential mock vote, I think every black kid in my school voted for Obama. 
And for me, it was kind of like, there's someone that looks like me. I went to school in a predominantly white town, as I'm sure most of the people in my area did that are of color. There were a lot of white people in your town. Um, so I was used to always being the brown spot in the room. It still was uncomfortable. It's still uncomfortable now. I'm a grown woman, and it still bothers me now when I'm the only brown spot in the room. At my job, I am the only brown spot in the room. There is only two black people in my, in my division where I work, and what I, it's me, and there's another lady who's older than me. There are no other black people other than that. How many people are, you think are in the, my, vis, my job, your my job yeah. altogether? Or the f that you are directing content Maybe with, not the whole building, but about thirty, if that. There okay. are there aren't a lot of us, and you want to know how I know that because we can find each other. That's what's crazy about it. It's not like we have to go far. Yeah. Because I can, I could probably point, I could probably describe to you everyone that I see on a normal basis. There's a few that I don't see because they're higher up the chain, so they're always in their office. But the ones that I see walking around the building normally, I see the same about 10 or 15 every day. If you want to feel a little bit better about your situation, um, when I lived in Ohio for a year, I lived in this town, small town, rural Ohio, and I was literally the only black person in the entire town. And I know this because multiple people came up to me and told me, well, we had one other, but he moved out. And I know why he moved out. <laughs> D does, um, I can't say that out loud. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, so for me, voting this for is Obama. This also the town where Jordan, for the first time, heard the N-word at two years old in his stroller as it was yelled out of a pickup truck that was driving by as we were walking. Oh, no. See, this is why, you know what, Rihanna? We, Jaslyn, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, Obama was like, and it, to be honest, it wasn't even so much Obama. It was his wife. <laughs> and it was like me. I'm on TV, and yeah. I'm up there. Yeah. If I go to the White House right now, an older me is walking around those halls. That's what it was for me. Representation is everything. It is. Like, um, this sounds crazy. I've been in, I was in school and I have never had a black teacher, ever, not once. First time I ever encountered a black teacher, she was my cheer coach and that was my freshman year of high school. She wasn't even my teacher. Cheer coach? The only time I saw her is she was my cheer coach. You know what's funny? So my, my school was, at the time, predominantly black now it's been gentrified but um my african-american studies teacher in this predominantly black neighborhood at the time predominantly black school was a white man that's actually not shocking <laughs> actually now that i think about it, that's not shocking at all because my in high school there was a class we had to take called humanities and that was usually about uh, the way that teacher taught it, that taught the humanities class, she was a Lebanese woman. So everything was about people of color to her. <laughs> Around the time I had her, this was before Black Panther, so this was before calling Caucasian folks, colonizer oh, came nice. about. So she would always say, the fake conquistadors. <laughs> and at first, I would, the first time she said it, I was like, how a fake conquistador? <laughs> like, you have to imagine, like, 16-year-old me sitting in a classroom and hearing 
a fake conquistador. And then like, I would be like, okay, so conquistadors are people that came and you know called themselves conquering America, but how are they fake? I was that was the part I was I was lost on. It was like, uh, I'm a very logical person, so if things when I hear it don't immediately click up here, I'm gonna question it until it makes sense and it clicks. So she would say it every so often, and one day I stopped her and I was like, Miss Smith, so and so, why are you calling him a fake conquistador? And she's like, because. If they were really conquerors, they'd be conquering blank land. It wouldn't have had anybody on it. And I was like, well, isn't that what they thought they were doing? She's like, no. Mr. For Mr. What'd she call him? Mr. 1492, referring to Christopher Columbus. Yeah. She's like, Mr. 1492 knew there were people here. He just didn't like the way they looked. I said, you know what? I'm leaving your classroom now. <laughs> why are you doing this? Seventh period, and I got one period left. So, again... For the people I knew, anyway, and the people that were 18, my, um, I believe my older cousin, the first time she ever got to vote was for Obama's second term. Yeah. And she, she was like, I ran down to the polls, and that was, that was all my, that was on my mind. She's like, I didn't even care about what his policies were. I just wanted to see us in there again. And I was like, at first, as a kid, I... It was... <sighs> you know how we have this thing as, as people... Mm -hmm. When we see yes, another black me. person. And we have to go A. And we head just nod. do the head nod or whatever. <laughs> you want to go A? I have never had so many head nods from complete strangers in my life as that first time going to the poll to vote for Obama. You just walk it out and you see somebody else in line, head nod. You walk down, they're coming up the street, head nod, like just the entire time. N never in my life had that many. Like, because everybody just, it was, it was just assumed you just everybody was smiling everybody was just it was a moment it was and when um when obama was coming out i was what um how old was i then it was like 2017 right so i was almost 21 was 21 so for me it was like dang you gotta stop doing that <laughs> stop doing what you can't do that because then you, you repeated it, so it's going to keep coming to my head like 21 Savage thing. I'm going to keep hearing 21 every every 30 seconds in my head now. Oh, you're, I'll play a 21 Savage song. <laughs> no play. Anyway, um, so the first time I ever got to vote, I'm not that, wasn't like the first time I ever got to vote, but the first time I ever got to vote for a president. And I was like, dang, I got Chester Cheeto <laughs> and, and Lewinsky's competition. Uh, I ain't got no options here. <laughs> like, I ain't got no options here. And I remember saying that to one of the ladies that I was very close with from our church. And she's like, you have to vote for what will make your people happy. And I was like, okay, that's neither one of them. So am I not voting? I can't not vote. <laughs> so, so do you vote <laughs> for the con man? who has conned a lot of black and brown people in his time? Uh -huh. Or do you vote for the wife of the man who's responsible for so many of us being incarcerated right now because of his reform? Had no options. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> this is why I have these arguments with, like even with my own parents. My parents are, they're both baby boomers. My dad is 1959, my mom's 1964. So my mom is right at the end of baby boomers. She's not as bad as my dad is. Like if I explain something to my mom, 
she'll think about it for a little while, and then she'll come back, and she'll be like, oh, okay, I see why you guys feel that way. And she'll let it go. Now, my dad, he just, he an old head. You, you can't do much with them. You just got to let them <laughs> rock, okay? You got to save the energy and let them rock. But talking to them, you know, my dad was the big, when I turned 18, you need to look like getting out. You need to, you know, get your own place. And, and I would always say, dad, with what? And he would like, get a job. And I'm like, I have a job. I literally work full time right now. I was working at a theme park. And I was, of course, once you hit 18, you start working doubles. So I was working 9 to 11 just about every daggone day. The only day I didn't was about, I think, either Tuesday or Thursday were the days they Which would give theme, me off. theme park is this? Our lovely New Jersey one in Jackson Township. So <laughs> it's funny you say that, though, about the doubles. Because let me tell you how they used to scam us. My first, what's my first job? Okay, so I worked at McDonald's and I worked at that theme park. I can't remember if McDonald's was first or the theme park was first. I feel like McDonald's was first. Yeah, McDonald's was first. So the scene, the theme park, I worked there when I was still going to high school. Same. And they also, you know, you could do it. It was mostly during the, the summer because of the time. Mm -hmm. So during the summer, there was a bus that would pick you up in front of the high school and take you there. So you're like, okay, cool, I'll go here, only be working a few hours because I'm a minor or whatever. They didn't tell you that the bus stop and drop off was in 12-hour intervals. Mm -hmm. So even though you only worked, you know, maybe you only worked five, six, six hours. hours or whatever, you're still <laughs> there for the entire day sitting in the back lot someplace listening to the animals of the safari <laughs> waiting so for the bus. So when I was working there, it was uh, 2014 till about the end of 2015, I worked there. And around that time was, for those of you who know, we are talking about Six Flags Great Adventure, if you couldn't figure it out by now. <laughs> so um, that was when they, uh, they enacted the, uh, the drive-through safari on the 18-wheelers with the guide or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, I... The last, the last time I had ever been through the safari was when you used to drive through in your own car. And I was about... That's how it was then when I was... I was about seven, eight then. And... And the monkeys used to tear up your <laughs> Yeah, roofs. the monkeys would tear up your car. But our instance, we went through and one of the giraffes came up to the car. And this was when... So I have five siblings. I have two half-sisters and three full-blooded siblings. My third youngest sibling, he was about... Him and my, his twin, so my And sister. one of her siblings will be on the podcast at some point as long as she can behave herself. <laughs> you know, two of us together, there's no... <laughs> yes, Chrysler Pacifica is the car my mom had when we went to the safari. We're having serious okay. problems here. Yeah, we are. So... <laughs> Back to the Pacifica, because we've decided that that's what the Pacifica... We're having issues, people. <laughs> we're having issues. She's going to finish this story. This is like the third time she's said this story now, because we're having issues with our equipment. We need money. Okay, we need more equipment, like seriously. But I'm going to try to set up a Patreon for us so we can try to get the stuff that we need to keep facilitating this venture. But um, anyway, back to the story. Go ahead. <laughs> Hopefully this works. Hopefully this time. Okay, I'm going to cut it short. 
Long story short, my brother, when we went to the safari, the giraffe has, if you don't know, a giraffe has a purple tongue. When that purple tongue came out and licked that car window of that Pacifica, my brother screamed. I have never heard that young man shriek like that. And now as a grown adult, <laughs> he will not go on the safari off-road adventure with me. And I just feel so hurt because he's like the only one of my siblings that likes roller coasters. <laughs> and I like roller coasters, but he won't get on them with me because he doesn't want to go on safari off-road adventure. It's so disrespectful. <laughs> like, I'm your oldest sister. You can't just make, can't make one little ex- Ex, you know, exception for me. One little one. I make exceptions for you all the time. <laughs> I can't do the roller coaster thing anymore. Uh, I used to do it, but not after I developed vertigo. Can't do it anymore now. Oh, yeah. yeah. My dad can't either because he has vertigo now, too. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, the next question is Do you trust politicians? Okay, to keep it short, our answer for both. For both of us, is no. <laughs> I could add some other words in there, but the bottom line is no. <laughs> yes. So, no, 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 we don't. What every other language you can say no in, the answer is no. Knit. <laughs> um, the, hold on, I've got to find the questions. Phone closed. Anyways, last question is, what are some bad experiences that you've had with police? Oh, okay, now you can share that story. La policia. Um, so when I was 17, for the, let me give a little backstory. I suffer from very bad anxiety, okay? Most people don't know because, like, I like to crack jokes. I like to be sarcastic. Um, I think I'm funny. If you were to ask my sister, she don't think I'm funny, as she has told Jay. So Full disclosure, <laughs> both people on this podcast have anxiety. <laughs> we do. <laughs> Um, so when things happen, um, and my panic attacks aren't like a normal person, you know, like normal people, they, um, they like hyperventilate or, um, they get upset or they're visibly unhinged. I get very, very quiet and I just stare Mm. and my throat feels like it's closed and I can't speak. So I'm literally staring at you and I could be literally quite literally dying, but I can't tell you because I'm freaking out. So... (laughs) Um, the first time I ever had an interaction with the police, I was 17. Um, my best friend and I, rest in peace, um, she took me to get my hair braided, um, in Asbury. And I drove, um, at the time I drove a Suzuki something. It was a 2001 Suzuki something. I forget what it was. Um, had that car forever. That was like the first car I ever had after I got my license. Um, it wasn't my car, it was my dad's car, but that was the car he let me use until him and my mom got me a car. Um, we were driving, and just so y'all know, this car was old. So when you accelerated, it made noise. You sounded like one of these kids these days. Let's be real, it was a Suzuki. <laughs> it, it made noises when you bought it <laughs> right. off the lot. That's how they exactly. were. Exactly. Um, it sounds like these kids nowadays that strip the mufflers on their car, and yeah. it sounds obnoxiously loud. That's how the Suzuki sounded. So... You sound like you're flying, but you're really just driving. You could be going 30 miles per hour, and it sounds like you're going 110. Like all these Honda Civics out here. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And it sounds like you're going 110, like you weren't going nowhere. So uh, I was out in uh, Seagirt, and we were, because we took 35 home, and we were driving. And I heard, I saw the lights behind me, but in my head, they were going past me, because we were on the two-lane part before you bear off. Yeah. So um, I didn't pay him no mind. You know, I'm just driving because I'm in the right lane. He was in the left lane. So I thought. (laughs) Mm. 
Then I realized the lights were mad close, and then I heard the siren go on. And I was like, okay, well, let me pull over. So he pulls over. Now, again, I'm 17. At this time, I also was dealing with a lot of anger issues because um, I was dealing with a lot. Like, my grandmother had passed my sophomore year of high school, my senior year, my grandfather had passed away. And, well, this was before my grandfather had passed away. He was just getting very sick at this point. This was when we found out he had cancer. And I was having a hard time accepting everything. What kind of cancer? Uh, I believe both my grandfathers died from cancer, but I believe he died from testicular cancer, and then my other grandfather had pancreatic cancer. Okay. So um, this is when I found that out, and I was trying to... I don't process things properly. I have never, has never been my strong suit in life. When things happen to me that are traumatizing, I sit on it and I refuse to process it or deal with it until I, in my head, have the time to. So it could be years down the line and I'll be sad about something that happened in 2010 and it's now 2045 and I'm just now getting around to processing it. Mm -hmm. So at the time I was dealing with a lot. So my initial reaction to everyone was to be very snippy and snarky because I was like, if I'm in my head, if I be mean, them, mean to them enough, they'll leave me alone and I can be alone. Now, granted, I told you I was with my best friend. She is the only one that got away with continuing to harass me even after I was starting to act like that. <laughs> so when the officer came up to my window, he goes, do you know why I pulled you over? And I'm just staring at him because now it's a mixture of me being highly irritated because I just want to go home because now I'm irritated beyond rhyme or reason. Yeah. And now I'm anxious because if y'all don't remember, I was about 17 in 2014, 2015. Trayvon Martin was 2012. Mm. So I saw how that went down. I, even though that wasn't at the hands of the police, it still was traumatizing to any kid to see that. Trayvon Martin is literally about a year older than me. So we were around the same age when he passed away. Um, so I'm now I'm irritated because I'm like, one, I wasn't doing anything. Two, um, I'm literally just driving, I'm going home. Um, it's not like we were going anywhere. It's not like there was liquor in the car. No, there was nothing in the car but my dad's fishing stuff because that's the car he took fishing. Like, there was nothing in here. So the cop kind of got smart with me and was like, well, you were speeding. Now, for those of you who... She's driving a Suzuki. For those of you who <laughs> know anything about my life right now, um, I drive a car that got sport mode in it. <laughs> And if you think I don't be using that sport and the paddle shifters at the same time, you are sadly mistaken. Anyway, now I'll admit I'm speeding if I'm speeding. I'll be the first one to tell you, yeah, I was flying. But I knew that time I wasn't. Yeah. And he insisted that I was speeding. I'm like, first of all, I'm in, a, I'm in a town that I don't frequent because this town makes me uncomfortable. This town looks like people with white robes are going to come out and get me. So I, I don't be in this town doing anything I don't have no business doing. So, you know, he's getting smart with me, he's getting smart with me, and my best friend, she leans over and she goes, well, officer, what, what's, what's really going on? She's like, I, she's like, excuse her, she's just having a really bad day, like, what's going on? So the officer, mind you, my best friend is black. Uh, my best friend and I look exactly the same. We're both light-skinned, the only difference was she was 4'11". I'm 5'5". We both had the bright hazel eyes, light-skinned, curly hair, we both looked exactly the same. We both had in the same color box braids at the time because we had just both gotten our hair done and we were on our way home. He's kinder to her than he is to me and I'm sitting here and I'm like. Wait, you just got your hair done? Yes. In Asbury? Yes. Because 
which is one of those African places because yes. I, I used to get my hair braided in there. And you're talking about your expression, <laughs> and I need to know people to visualize that if she just got her hair braided, her forehead was tight. <laughs> her eyebrows were up. They were up. Okay. So and she, now I she got looked, two. She, she looked upset. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he's talking nice to her, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I'm upset now. I'm like, you could have just had the same conversation with me. We look exactly the same. But then, you know, I had an older cousin, and he was very into, now he done, go, he done gone rogue. He like a whole sovereign citizen. He just weird. <laughs> but um, he and I had had a conversation about it, and he said, have you ever heard of size? And I'm like, what do you mean size? He's mm -hmm. like, the bigger you look, to a cop as a black person, the more yeah. aggressive they presume you are. You could yeah. be the kindest human, but just because you're bigger and more aggressive looking. Now at the time, I was in high school and I was, I used to do sports, I used to work out, so I was jacked and I'm not gonna hide it. I was a chunky girl, but I was solid. Yeah, It was more muscle than it was fat. So I did look more brolic, I did look more aggressive, but I never thought in all those years of living that that would ever affect me when it came to the police. Because I'm like, I'm a girl. How could I really outbeat this like 6'6 white man? But in all actuality, in his mind, I could. So my friend being 4'11 was her advantage. She got us off the hook, let us off with a warning and told me to go home. Mm. And I'm like, but he could have had that same conversation with me. And it bothered me for a long time. <laughs> and I'm like, so my size is really a definer in who I was as a person? If all you said to me was, ma'am, hey, you were kind of sort of speaking, even though I know I wasn't, just make sure you slow down and drive carefully and send yeah. me on my way. I would have been calm. It was the fact that you were evading me asking what was wrong, but then you tell my best friend, like, she's not sitting right next to me, like, I can't hear you talking to her. Like, that's the kind of stuff of cops that bother me. The same thing with my job. I've dealt with them there, and I'm like, I've had some of the, sh the cops that work at my job, when COVID was a thing, we were getting vaccines. I went to go get my vaccine and some of them were doing overtime work as moderating the center where I went. And one of them recognized me, but the other one didn't. And I had walked over to talk to the one that recognized me just to say, hi, hey, how's your day going? And the yeah. other one was being very short with me. I was like, you need to get in line. Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I, I'm not doing anything. I'm saying hello. And, you know, I, I will be the first to admit that I probably have it a lot easier when it comes to the police than dark-skinned men especially do. But still, at the end of the day, being a black person around the police is not a fun time. Yeah. If you can avoid it, you will do everything in your power to. Even when I got in a car accident, 2020, the beginning of 2020, I told my car. The state police that came to help me, you would think he's there to help someone that just totaled their car. Someone who's in complete shock right now, I'm shaking, I'm trying not to cry, because I'm like, in my head, I'm like, look, I can't afford a car, car note right now. Like, it was the beginning of 2020. I still remember it down to the date. It was January 4th, 2020. I got in that accident, told my car. I was on the way to my dentist, and I was on 29 in Trenton. And it was foggy. And the car in front of me looked mad close, a lot closer than what it did. Like, those lights looked too bright to say that there was distance between me and that other car. So I hit the brakes, not thinking. Ended up spinning out. A hydroplane spun mm -hmm. out, slammed into the concrete meridian, car spun around again. I was facing oncoming traffic. I hit the concrete meridian again. I spun around and faced the right way, and then the car finally came to a stop. And I, I remember 
to, for like the solid next year and a half, I was terrified to drive next to the Meridian on the highway. If I'm if I was in the car with my mom or my dad or whoever and they were driving next to it, I would freak out. I would make them move over to the middle or to the far right. Like, and that cop that came to help that day, he was so rude. And I just couldn't understand. I was like, I'm this a state trooper. I'm like, I, I don't I don't understand. Yeah. Like, you're supposed to be helping me. I called you here to help me. That's why when people are like, oh, you guys want us to get rid of the police, but who are you going to call when you need help? I promise you I will never call him again because the one time I did call him, look at where it got me. He screamed at me. He, first of all, he left me standing on the highway because when the tow truck came, that guy was way nicer to me than the state trooper was. He's talking to me, trying to calm me down. He's like, look, this happens all the time, especially in this bend right here. A lot of people spin out. Literally where the cop was yelling at me at, asking me what happened, and I was in so much shock I couldn't think straight, was standing up against the metal guardrail on the other side. On the other side of that would have been like a, um, a bank, like a, like a dip. Mm. He is yelling at me, and I hear, a, like you hear whirling. And I'm like, what is that sound? And as I turned, the tow truck driver literally moved me, and another car spun out and slammed right into the guardrail right where I was standing. <laughs> I'm like, so you're standing here screaming at me, and you're not even paying attention to the fact that there's a car coming flying at me. Like, so... Yes, I have had quite bad experiences with cops to the point where there are cops that I know personally. I've known them before I even knew they were cops. And when I see them in uniform, it bothers me. When, even when I see them out of uniform and they, they're talking about work, I kind of stare at them and I'm like, I don't know if I can trust you anymore because you're a part of a system that doesn't like people that look like me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear all of that and like me... It's funny you talk about that. It's like my experiences start early on too. And there's two, there's literally too many to mention. Like I have, if you looked into it, which I'm sure you could, I have probably an album's worth of mugshots. All traffic offenses. Never been convicted of anything criminal, even civil all traffic stops, and the majority of the traffic stops, like, headlight out. Um, the, first, the first time I ever got stopped, well, actually, let's, let's go back a little further. The first issue I ever had with a police officer, I was maybe 10, 11 years old. I was playing in the playground by my grandmother's house. And me and some of my friends were playing um, cops and robbers. And we didn't have guns, right? Uh, well, my friend had a water gun. It was broken. We were just running around using our fingers, just playing around or whatever and stuff. And there was a car mm -hmm. across the street. And at that time, I didn't know much about undercover uh, cop cars and stuff like that. I wasn't paying attention to things like that. At this point in time in the city, Neptune, we had what were called jump out boys. And they were undercover cops and they were mostly involved in picking people up for narcotics or whatever and stuff and they were all undercover mm -hmm. all the time, just roaming around the streets. Nowadays, you, you can spot the car. It's easy to tell who's you know probably a cop or not. At that time, when you're a little kid, you're not thinking about anything like that. You're just playing sure around. So we're playing around, running around. Then we see the door open, and next thing I know, there's somebody behind us yelling. And he grabs my friend by the arm, 
and he tells us to get down on the ground. So the playground that we're playing at, because this is not how playgrounds are today, it was a bad area, there's a lot of glass on the ground. This is when all bottles were glass, and people used to love to go to the playground because it was concrete. There wasn't this turf stuff that kids have now with metal slides and rusty equipment and concrete ground. They would break bottles all over the place. So now here I am, face down in glass, while this cop has his knee on the middle of my back, and he's holding down my friend. And he's questioning us, asking us about a robbery that took place the next town over while we're just playing in the playground. And he starts saying stuff about us and how what, does my friend have a weapon on him? And we're explaining the situation to him and stuff, trying to, and he's just yelling and going on and on. And it's clearly, he's, you know, he's profiling us, he's harassing us, it's this whole thing. And I went inside and I actually, like, that whole day, I had a long list of stuff that I was gonna do. I was gonna go play with my friends. I was gonna go to the store. I was terrified of just going outside. It took my uncle having a conversation with me, telling me, you know, basically, like, if I don't just live my life, that they win, and this whole thing for me to even go outside. And when I went outside, I saw that car again, you know, a couple times after that, and periodically he would just roll down his tinted window and just look at me. Just the intimidation factor because, you know, we gotta intimidate kids, you know. But the first time that I actually got stopped in my car, it's funny, my father bought me, um, well gave me his old car. He had this um, 85 Dodge Daytona with uh, silver with little flip up lights, no shocks. <laughs> <laughs> So driving around Asbury with all the potholes and no shocks. So just think about that. But anyway. I know you've had a headache. Yeah. <laughs> but I was happy because this is my first car. So I was like, oh, you know, this car. And I'm driving the car. And I graduated. And then after graduation, I did what a lot of kids do. The day after graduation, I took my graduation tassel and I hung it from the rearview mirror. So I'm driving down Highway 33, and I'm turning onto my street, I'm waiting for the cars to go by so I could turn, I have my signal on. Cop pulls up behind me, pulls me over to the side of the road, walks around, starts asking me questions and stuff, asking me what I'm doing in this neighborhood, like I live here, I mean, houses were literally on the street, or blah, 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 just so he can write me a ticket and tell me that my tassel is obstructing my vision and stay out of trouble. Okay, first full day of driving this car. And it just added on from there. It was just constant, just stops. Some stops, okay, it's an old car. Maybe the light, you have to hit it a couple times before it comes back on. Or just driving down deal, and one time a cop pulled me over. He had his back to me, the back of the squad car to me, did a K-turn, came back around, pulled me over and just to ask questions and basically illegally search my car only to tell me when he finally told me what he pulled me over for was he thought my inspection sticker had expired. It hadn't expired, clearly, but he thought somehow when he was had his back to me <laughs> that me passing by down Ocean Avenue that my sticker was expired. Like, it starts off there and then it gets exponentially worse. That's the truth. Because 
I've had guns drawn on me more times than I can remember. And every single time there was a cop at the other end of that gun. And at one point I had dreads and I was regularly stopped because the assumption was, oh, he must have drugs on him. I've never done any illegal drugs. I've never smoked weed. I've never even smoked cigarettes. But I would get pulled over and what would be the thing? Oh, we smell something. So what does that lead to? We're gonna search your vehicle when there's clearly nothing in here. I mean, I've been stuck on the Belmar Bridge going into Belmar while a cop took everything out of my car. And at that point, I was living in a motel and the majority of my life's possessions were in my car. Took out everything out of the car, laid it out on the side of the bridge. And then when he finally couldn't find anything, stay out of trouble, drove off, and then I had to sit there in the middle of the night putting all my possessions back into the car. And then when we talk about situations with like not wanting to call them, so the, the day I figured out for sure that I could not, because I didn't really trust calling the police, that the day I figured out that I definitely couldn't, I was staying at this motel in Neptune City, and this guy who I somewhat knew, like a friend of a friend, mm -hmm. was calling me, because you know, if you, at certain motels, you can just put in the room number, you can call. So I didn't even know that he knew what room number I was in. I didn't even know he was staying in the motel at the time, who this was. Calling, and at first I wasn't answering the phone. Then I answered the phone and then there's somebody on the other end, just, um, you need to come outside or whatever. I got, I got, we got, we got to handle this and all this stuff. And I'm like, who is this? And I hang up the phone, the person keeps calling back. I hang up the phone and I stop answering the phone. Then a few minutes pass by, I hear a knock at the door. This, the motel door doesn't have a peephole, but it has a window by it with a curtain. Mm -hmm. So I pull back the curtain a little bit and I look and I see him, I recognize him now, banging on the door with a pistol. So my thought is, I don't know what this guy's gonna do. I know he has a drug issue. I don't know what his plan is, but he has a gun in his hand and he's banging on my door and he's been calling and harassed, like, whether, okay. I call the police. The police show up. I'm telling them, you know, he's in this room number. I know his first name. I don't know his last name. He was at the door, whatever. There's probably cameras out if you want to go ask them. So they start looking around the room. They're just searching the room, taking it upon themselves to search the room. This is not what I called you for. Ask for my ID. They run my ID through the computer, and guess what? I have a warrant for a traffic violation, for an unpaid ticket, because my, the light above my license plate was out. And I got, that ticket was sent to my former address, which I don't live anymore, because I live in this motel, and my mail hasn't been forwarded yet. So guess what they do? They take me and they put me in the squad car, and they never even go to the guy's door. So then I have to call family members and get myself bailed out to what? Go back to the motel with this guy who just came to my door with a gun who's still there because they never even bothered to go to the door. I went down to the hotel clerk to ask if they asked to see the footage and stuff and he said no, nobody came down. So at that moment, it was, uh, it was crystal clear to me that 
they weren't there to help me. They weren't there to protect and serve me. That wasn't the entrance of them. They don't, they don't care what happens to me as a person. They don't care what happens to us as, as people. That's not their priority. They are there to protect and serve certain people. It's in their vested interest too and other people. They could really just care less. So when people say stuff like that, um, you know, you don't want the police around or you want to defund the police and, you know, who are you going to call an emergency? There used to be a, um, a shirt that I saw one time that said next time, um, something like next time something gets stolen or whatever, call a crackhead or whatever, they would say that, like, and people used to make that joke or whatever about it instead of calling the police or whatever, but it's like, honestly, being in the Neptune Asbury area, I felt, I found more helpful crackheads than I've come across helpful police officers. You know, it, it's, it's sad to say, but it's like, and you talk about the, the troopers, it's like, they're the worst. It's like the one time that I've the one time that I've been harassed in Asbury because Asbury I haven't gotten too many issues in Asbury was by a trooper, just off the high you know just driving through Asbury. I was going over the train tracks and I slowed down because there were potholes all over the road and on the train tracks, and the trooper pulled me over and he's like asking me. He said he pulled me over because I slowed down going over the train tracks. He pulled me over because I slowed down going over train tracks. Like, that's an offense. And then the whole time he gave me grief because I wasn't calling him sir. I, he, said, he said, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, no, I don't, officer. He said, no, you don't what? I said, no, I don't, officer. No, you don't, sir. And kept reiterating the sir the entire time. Took me out of the car. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not calling you, sir. <laughs> but that's the mentality. They can't say master, but essentially that's what they want. Sat me in the back of his squad car, handcuffed, while he thoroughly ran my name through the system and everything, searched my car, and then after he was pissed off enough because he couldn't find anything, then took the handcuffs off, and as they always say, stay out of the trouble and then let you go. It's like, that's the thing, and it, it, people, it's, it's crazy because you, you sh there's so many stories, but then you share these stories with certain closed-minded individuals, and they just pretend like it's not happening, because it's not happening to them, it can't be possibly happening at all. And it's just the daily reality of things. When I used to drive um, for Uber Eats and DoorDash, I have a video haven't shared it on TikTok yet, but it's a video when I'm in Ocean County. That's the other thing. There's certain towns, as black people, that you know when you go into the town that you're going to have issues, right? I know in Deal I'm going to have issues. Yep. I know in Ocean Township I'm going to have issues. Yep. So I'm delivering food in Ocean Township, and I see a cop. On this video, you hear me tell in advance what's going to happen. I'm delivering. I see this cop slow down, look at me, and turn around. Now, at the time, I'm in this bright red Ford Mustang, that was my car at the time. And I know I stick out in this red car, black man driving through these areas or whatever in Ocean Township, I know the cop sees me. So I pulled down to deliver the food and I saw the cop turn the corner. I said on the video while I'm recording, I say, I know I'm gonna go up here, I'm gonna turn this corner, this cop's gonna come up the street, they're gonna pull up behind me and they're gonna pull me over. 
I waited, waited for another five minutes. I said, I'm going to wait, see if they come out, but I know what's happening. They're around there. They're around the corner, just out of sight. I pull over. I make that turn. Sure enough, cop pulls behind me, flashing lights, pulls me over. I'm still recording this. At this point, I did something which I shouldn't have done because it could have ended my life, but I was so over it at the moment. I jumped out of my car with my, with my um, phone in my hand, and I was still recording the whole time. And before she could get out, I said, so I've been recording since I went around the corner and I talked about the fact that I knew once I turned the corner that you were gonna pull me over. Now I'm over here making Uber deliveries and all of my stuff's up to date, my registration, my license, none of my headlights or taillights are out. So I'd like to know on camera, why exactly you're stopping me right now? And I turned the camera so she could see that I was recording. And she said, have a nice day and pulled off. But people will tell you that we're not being profiled and this isn't a thing. So I can't remember his name, but there was a gentleman, young man who was killed by the police for having air fresheners hanging from his rear view mirror. And now, um, I don't know what it is with the black community and the black ice air fresheners, <laughs> but um, I know growing up, my dad always had those. They were either on his indicator, yeah. on the thing for the window wipe, windshield wipers, or they were on his gear shift. Yes. Always. In my mom's car, it was either always on her rear view mirror or on her indicator. Never did not have air freshener in their cars, okay? Cars always smelled like black ice. It was yeah. a thing. Um, so I remember I had, so now my favorite scent is the Yankee Candle Midnight Summer, Midsummer, whatever, whatever it's called. Okay. I had one hanging around my rear view mirror. And I remember when I heard about that, I went out to my car. My mom was like, where are you going? And I went out to my car and I took it off my rear view mirror. Mm -hmm. And I put it on my gear shift because I was like, I don't want my mom to have to bury her oldest child because mm. I just want my car to smell good. So when you are growing up and you're being tormented by the people that are supposed to protect you, and then I feel bad for the kids, like this is, this is not really a part of the subject, but like the kids who have abusive parents. So now you have abusive parents, but then as a black child, you also are being abused by the police. So who can you run to to get protection? Now, uh, now and again, there's always, you know, there's some kids are lucky enough to have that teacher, you know, that doesn't see skin tone and cares. Yeah. So they may call. But the foster care system is just as bad yeah. as probably that abusive home is. So the police don't help in the capacity that they're supposed to, at least not for the black community. It's almost like they have this, the entire police force in the country as a whole has this unspoken agreement they're going to off us all one by one and hope that it'll get to a point that we'll all get so tired that we'll just hide or we'll do whatever we, they want us to do. And I, I'll admit, I used to be one of those kids that would say, oh, I'm not my ancestors, but I realized my ancestors dealt with some ish because I'm yeah. telling you, you sicking dogs on me you hitting me with a fire hose, you hitting me with anything. You coming up to me and pelting my face in with your fist just because of the way I look. I don't think I could deal with that. 
like I like me and my cousins and my siblings, when we talk about slavery and stuff, I always jokingly say, like, I would have jumped off that ship, but like like Killmonger said in Black Panther, like I'd I'd rather die with my ancestors than to go whatever to wherever they're taking me. Like I'm not I'm glad you said that because there are a lot of people when I see them in my comments a lot of times and they make commentaries like that, like I'm not my ancestors and I would do this and I would do that. And I'm glad like your way of thinking changed there because I think it's a disservice because... It's a total disrespect to our ancestors. Okay, we may not have been able to deal with it, right, okay, and we may have rebelled against it, but the point of it is, if they would have reacted that way, then we wouldn't be here to say the things that we're saying right now. If every one of them had just said we're better off dead, that would have been the end of all of us. So the fact that they went through what they went through just for the possibility of us is something that needs to be recognized, and it's too dismissive to just say, oh, well, I wouldn't have done this, or I'm not them, and I, you know, it's, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a certain type of strength involved in being able to like put aside your own well-being for the possibility of something better down the line for your offspring. Because I'm pretty sure my great-grandparents were slaves. Um, my, my mother, not slavery, but my mother her first grade school. So basically, segregation didn't end until she was already in grade school. So when we talk about slavery or segregation or all these other things and stuff like that, people like to talk about it like it's ancient history. It's not. And it's not. Like my father talks about the Newark, riot, the Newark riots like it's just yesterday. Yeah. He talks about, um, there's a story he tells me and my siblings all the time where there was curfew. And at the time, him, my grandfather, my grandmother, and his other siblings, the ones that were still living at home, lived in this house and it had a yard. And you had to put your trash out by a certain time every day. Mm, yeah. And one day, my dad got home and the trash wasn't out, and my grandfather told him he needed to take the trash out. And my dad said he went outside, and when he opened that door, he was met with an assault rifle, military-grade weapons, and they told him he needed to get inside. And all he was doing was putting his trash on the curb so it could be gone in the morning. It was like, my dad said it was maybe five, ten minutes after curfew. It wasn't long. It wasn't like hours after curfew. It was like maybe five or ten minutes. My father talks about, my father was in the service. He talks about when he came home, he went to a restaurant to eat with some of his service buddies. And the restaurant where they ate after they were done eating threw their plates out. My mom talks about, now my mother's West Indian. She, um, she came here when she was 13. So she didn't really know what slavery, what like racism, slavery, any of that stuff was until she got here. Um, she said her first experience with that was she was in middle school and this kid, um, well, the very first experience was his teacher asked her where her green card was and said that he could have her deported for not carrying it on her. Then the second instance was this kid she was in class with. She went to walk past him or something and he wouldn't move out the way and he called her a black bee. So her reaction was to haul off and smack him. And they suspended her for a day over that. There was another instance where I think she was in high school. And it's funny now, because anytime I see the woman out on the street, I crack a joke. If I'm like, Mom, you gonna whoop her butt again? But there was this girl she went to school with. I used to make a big stink to her all the time about stuff. 
And my mom ended up blacking one day and mm -hmm. hauled off and hooked her. <laughs> and, you know, she every now and again, she goes, sometimes I wish I didn't do that because then it put this stigma on me that, you know, I'm this aggressive black woman when that was never the case. Um, so hearing my parents' stories, especially my dad's, it's kind of like insane. And more so the fact that my father is a veteran. So he fought for this country and you give him nothing, nothing. He put his life on the line for a country that doesn't even care about him and he gets nothing. There's no help for him. There's no nothing. He ends up having to go get a regular nine to five because when they decided, my parents decided they wanted to start having kids, my mom was kind of like, I don't want to raise no army brats, which I'm, I thank God for because I don't think I would be able to survive being an army brat, to be honest, because I am not, I like comfort. So if I can never, if every time I finally get comfortable, you're taking me out of that comfort zone and throwing me somewhere else, I'm never going to prosper or grow the way you want me to. So this country, it's not really safe for people that look like us. And like the other thing about my generation that I can't stand is the whole concept, let's just go back to Africa. I hate to say this, but some of them don't like us either. <laughs> so... <laughs> Unfortunately, African Americans are in this, like, um, this this middle ground. Yeah. Where we're not accepted in one place or the other. And to be honest, growing up as a kid, I dealt with that because kids didn't believe me when I said I was black, because I was this little light skinned girl with what they called good hair, which isn't even true because all hair is good hair. Yeah. Um, and I had these hazel eyes, and I didn't look like the typical black person. So they would swear up and down, and my dad didn't really go to my school functions like that. So everybody swore up and down that my dad was white. Make when a note of that, because that's going to be another topic. We have to talk about colorism at some point. Um, and, you know, I was like, my dad's black. Like, this, I, I, you literally look at me, and that's what he looks like, just darker. Like, yeah. there's, like, no, no difference here. Um, and I remember the black kids would bully me, too. Because their thing was, they swore I thought I was better than them because I didn't look like them. And I was like, okay, but like, I don't, I don't want to look like you. I want to look like me. And that's no hate towards you. I just want to be me. Just excuse me. Keep talking. This is messing with my OCD. <laughs> okay. Jay is currently fixing my hair. Anyways. She, okay. <laughs> so at the beginning of this, I have OCD. I'm sorry. <laughs> At the beginning of this broadcast, she has one singular curl, right? Now, you can't see my curls, but she has, um, what would you say, brown? So, and my hair was blonde at one point in time. Okay. But um, one thing you got to know about me is I don't make the most sound decisions. <laughs> I kind of do things <laughs> off impulse at times. Well, <laughs> most of her hair, well, in the front, it's brown. It's brown. But she has one blonde <laughs> curl. curl that's right in the, front in the front that was sticking up. So the whole time where she's talking, I'm sitting here intently listening, but the back of my head is just like, that curl. I got to do something about that curl. It won't, she it won't be. looking at me. It's it won't be that color come <laughs> next Thursday. But So I had to flatten it out. It was just, it was, it was, it, it, I don't know. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so, you know, and I'm not taking, I don't, because when I have this conversation with some people, the, 
there are some light-skinned folks that are mad ignorant. They're like, well, reverse colorism, like, that does not exist, okay? Yeah. Shut up, all <laughs> 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 right? You, as a light-skinned person, you may experience racism, but you will never experience colorism because you will always have that one up simply because you were lighter than some of your other African-American brothers and sisters. So you can't, there's no such thing as reverse colorism, just like there's no such thing as reverse racism, which- Don't give it all away, don't give it away. <laughs> that's we're, another we're thing that pisses that. me we're off. get into that. <laughs> so um, as a kid going through, and you don't fit into either side, African-Americans, we don't fit into either side because like our African home, they don't really want to deal with us because their thing is, we don't really know where you go. Because you know, when they took us from over there, they burned all of our records. They they stripped us of the identities of the tribes we belong to, for us to know who we belong to. Yeah. Granted, some of them were gracious enough that their ancestors never forgot where they came from. They made it a mission of passing it down. I have some friends that know exactly what tribe they came from in Africa, who their ancestors are. Um, I will say, because unlike what they teach most kids here in this country. Africa is a continent, and we can't, we're not, when, um, while there are some Africans who feel that way, there are also some who don't. True. So, like, for instance, I have been in contact with, since ever since I did my ancestry thing and found out that I was, like, 93% African-American, so blackety-black. And <laughs> not blackity black. 40% of that is Nigerian. Then I've had a lot of people from Nigeria reach out to me and say, well, you know, you should come and you should. Yeah. So there are some. Ghana had the whole, um, what was it called? The, oh, the, yeah, the Great did. Return and things like that. And they're, they're incentivizing people to come and get land and stuff there that uh, black people from here. So there are some places that are welcoming and opening their arms to us. But yes, there is some misinformation, there is some disconnection, and it is hard, like you're saying, really difficult when you don't know where exactly you come from. That's and, a whole other thing. And some, like, um, for my mom, my mom's Caribbean, as I said earlier, she didn't teach us any of the languages she knows from back home. So uh, she is from Curacao. So they, are, they were Dutch colonized. So Dutch is the main official language, but the dialect spoken on the island is called Papimintu, which is a mixture of Spanish, Portuguese, some Swahili, mm. and um, there's another language I forget. But um, she never taught us that because she was so worried about us being bullied the way she was when she got here. She never taught us. She kind of kept that wow. part of our lives hidden from us until wow. we were old enough. Mm. Wow. So, um, I didn't really know about my Caribbean heritage or my culture. Ironically, the way I found out was... That does that frustrate you? Yes, that does bother me a lot. Because, and the way I, I found... I asked this, sorry, I don't interrupt. I asked this because my grandmother, my father's mother, was um, born in Barbados. So I have a whole other side of family in Barbados. And I, I went to Barbados a few years ago. And I really wanted to meet some of the family there, but I had no connection of well, this person lives at this address or this is this person's name just well they live in this area in this region and that was it and that felt very frustrating to me to not have that connection when it's like right there and not have that information like the first time I had ever gone home I was in second grade 
And I know when I talk to people sometimes I call I call Curacao home. I don't call America home. So when they're like, oh, you were born there? And I'm like, no, but that's home. So I didn't know anything about my culture. And the only reason why I found out, this sounds crazy, I was on a step team in high school. And one of our dances, now if you know anything about the Caribbean culture and like carnival, crop over and all that stuff, yeah. a lot of our dancing is called whining. So you're moving your hips in a circular fashion. And we that was one of the dance moves for one of the step routines we had for one of our competitions. Hmm. And I happened to be practicing in front of my mom and when I did it, she stared at me. And I was like, what? I was like, she's like, you dance just like your grandmother. And, I, and at the time I was like, okay. <laughs> and, I, like, and I went on about my business. Because in my head, Again, my mom never really talked about our culture to us. So in my head, I'm like, okay, we're just black. What, what are you talking about? Like, okay. So it wasn't until I, my mom has his favorite cousin. Uh, so my grandfather was from Barbados. My grandmother was from St. Martin, but they moved to Curacao and that's how they met each other and had my mom. So my grandfather's uh, nephew, so my mom's, and this is my mom's favorite cousin. Don't um, say the name. No. You're going to cause some issues. <laughs> <laughs> we went to go see him for the first, uh, we went to meet him for the first time that I remember anyway. Um, apparently I had met them when I was an infant, but I don't count that because I don't remember. Yeah. Um, so I went to go meet them for, we went to go meet them for the first time and I met that part of the family and I was like, and I'm not going to lie, I kind of got mad at my mom hmm. because I was like, you hid this from me my whole yeah. life. I knew nothing about this part of my life. Um, as far as I was concerned, like, my dad, he is black, Native American, Irish, and Spanish, like, from Spain. So that's all I ever thought I was. And I thought my mom was just black. She never talked about the fact that she was Caribbean. She never talked about the fact that we had all this culture. I knew she spoke other languages because she would speak those languages with my aunt, who helped to raise us when my parents got divorced. So I knew there was something there, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't know the extent. I didn't know the depth. I didn't know that I had cousins that of this culture that lived a four-hour drive away. I had a few cousins that were 30 minutes away and didn't even know they were there. So there was conversations going on in the language that you didn't no. know. Wow. Like they would, when my parents wanted to, well not my parents, when my mom and my aunt wanted to have a conversation they didn't want us to hear, they would speak in Papamento or Dutch. Um, and growing up, I just tuned it out because I was like, oh, well, you know, we're black kids are taught you stay in a child's place. You're, you're to be seen and not heard. So I'd be sitting in the living room. They're standing in the kitchen having a full-blown conversation. I don't know what the heck's going on. So I'm sitting there, and even now as an, a full-fledged adult, I had conditioned myself to just tune it out that even now when I go home and they're trying to teach me the language, I, don't, I can't untrain myself to tune that out. Like when they start talking Papi Mentor or Dutch, I just automatically shut my brain off because I'm like, I don't know what they're saying. Clearly that's it's not something they want unique, me to hear. That's a very <laughs> unique um, experience. Because you hear so much the opposite, where it's like, for instance, so many um, people like south of the border, they come here, and they're the first generation in this country, mm -hmm. and they are the translators for their parents, and they know Spanish or whatever, and they're translating to English, and then they're brought into situate adult situations because now they have to hear these things to translate these things, but then maybe their parents or whatever don't know English, so they're having these English conversations with their parents, don't understand and now you are on the opposite where they're having this conversation with this language that you were never taught and it's it's an interesting so like um i have cousins so when you leave so for the caribbean when you leave the island when you choose to leave you usually go to what they call mother country which is the country that colonized you yeah so for curacao the country that colonized them 
was the Netherlands. So most of my uncles and their children all went to the Netherlands. So when I met them for the first time in 2017, uh, we, went, we all went home for my grandmother's 90th birthday. When I met them for the first time, my one uncle walked up to me and said something to me in Dutch, and I just stared at him. And I said, I have no idea what you said, but your sister never taught us anything. Mm. And when he said that, he looked at me, and he looked at my mom, and my mom, sh my mom shook her head, and she's like, I didn't. And my mom beats herself up about that to this day because she says she feels like she took part of our childhood away because we'll never get to have that um, moment with our family where we can say something in another language if we're out in public or something and no one know what's going on unless they know. But she's like, you'll never get the chance to fully um, divulge. Even now as an adult, now I absorb information like nobody's business. I don't know why. I could never explain to you why. Um, so I was at a point where I was almost fluent in Spanish from taking it throughout school. I, had, I couldn't speak it, but I had gone to a point where I could read it, and if you said it to me, I could answer you in English. I just couldn't answer you in Spanish. Um, and I'm still kind of like that now, but it's not as quick. I have to think about it sometimes. And with Papimento and Dutch and stuff, I don't know anything. Like, I know how to say good morning, good afternoon, and good night, and I know how to say how are you. That's the extent. Um, I know a few words here and there, but if I don't know the context around that word, I, and that word can mean multiple things. So if I don't know the context around that word, I won't know what you're saying. So it, it's weird. And sometimes when my family messages me um, or texts me or whatever to check on me, they'll say something to me. Like they'll have like a half English, half Dutch sentence there. And I'm like, I'm like I don't want to ask what does that mean because I feel weird. But at the same time, I have no idea what they're saying. And I feel like I can't have a fluent conversation with them. And they all speak English very well. Like, you would think that was their first language. And, but, but that's a constant reminder that, of something that you weren't included in. Yeah. I never got to have that experience. And I feel like part of me was taken away without me having the option to take it away. Yeah. Or to keep it. And I tell my mom all the time, I'm like, when I, if I have kids, they getting dropped off. Or summer camps with Omar, because you about to teach them. Because if I can't teach them, somebody's going to teach them. We're going to turn this bloodline around. <laughs> yeah. This generation may have skipped, but the next one is not skipping. So, like you said, it's a very unique experience, because most of the time, kids do know the second language of their parents. But in my case, I don't. Mm. And unfortunately, my dad was also very worried about us getting bullied, too. So he kept our culture from us. He didn't tell us much about our culture, either. Um, the only thing we knew about was his side. But as far as from my dad's eyes, the only thing we were, were black and Native American. He didn't talk about the Irish part. He didn't talk about the Spanish part. He didn't even talk about the Haitian part because apparently his father, uh, his, his, so my dad's great grandfather, no, my dad's grandfather spoke Creole. So their assumption is that he must've been Haitian or something along those lines. So that part of my, anything that was outside the American norm, my parents didn't tell me about it because they didn't want us to get bullied which I am appreciative of that because I don't know, truthfully, as a child with the bullying I had already had to endure, I don't know if having an a, a thick accent from a not so popular country and navigating life already as hard as it was for our, for our generation would have been easy for me anyway. So maybe she was protecting me. But at the same time, I still feel like I missed out on part of who I am. 
and like there's still family I haven't met. Like they'll message me on Facebook and stuff, and I'm like, I I don't know who you are. I wish I did, but I don't. <laughs> so there's an aspect of that where you fall on both sides of the fence, so you can understand from the perspective of child and being a child how you would feel when you're really left out about that with that situation and kind of resentful. Um, and then there's an aspect when you go on the other side of things and you become a parent, you realize that there are certain choices that are being made constantly and there was a, a choice there seemingly to assimilate into this culture and leave behind certain things because they were fearful of how you would be accepted or for your safety overall. And then you can say, well, maybe it wasn't the right decision still, but then you can kind of say, well, maybe because of the lack of knowledge that they had and their understanding at the time, it seemed like the best decision at that moment, even if it wasn't looking back in hindsight, but it's, it depends on which side of the fence you fall on. So I have that conversation with people sometimes. They're like, you can't get mad at a parent's decision. You're not a parent, which I'm not. I don't have any kids, but... First of all, that's always wrong. It is. It's always wrong because anybody who is directly affected by something has the right to feel however they want to feel about that situation if it directly affects you. Nobody can tell you how to feel about the situation. People can say, well, here's the reasons why you may want to give them a pass or understand their perspective of where they're coming from, but they can't say that you can't feel this way or can't feel that way because it's not them, it's you. Right. So, um, but I have I have been told that. You know, you're not a parent, so what say do you have? And I'm, I'm like, I may not be a parent, but I was a kid once. Also, I'm the oldest of, there are six of us. My dad has six kids in total, my mom has four. I'm the oldest either, either way you splice it. So, I basically was a parent at one point in time. There yeah. were times where I was at home with all five of my siblings, making sure they were good so my parents got home. There were times where I was at home with three of them and had to make sure they were good so my parents got home. There were times where I was at home with them and some of my younger cousins and had to make sure they were all good so the parents got home. So I may not have you know, gone through the process of having a kid, giving birth, having to raise that child, but I've, I've babysat children. I've been around children. If you wanna be technical, I think anybody who is the oldest child, especially the oldest sister, you eventually become like mom number two at some point down the line when it comes to your siblings. You, you eventually become mom number two because when mom's out working, especially if mom and dad are divorced, they don't live together. When mom's out working or mom's out doing what she got to do, you're at home. You know what's funny? <laughs> you talk about that perspective. So as an only child and a latchkey kid whose mother worked overnight shifts and stuff, when you don't have siblings, you still end up becoming the parent because you end up parenting yourself. Yep. And, you know, I used to tell people all the time, I'm like, having siblings is like your first trial run with children. Yeah. And then you go from there and you decide whether or not you want to have kids. Like, um, I have a cousin who doesn't want kids because she was always babysitting us. And, and she literally, she literally said, whenever she thought about having kids, she would come down and stay with my mom for a little while. <laughs> and usually by the end of that second week, she'd be like, she "Yep, nope, I'm good." <laughs> same thing with my older cousin. He passed away last summer, but he was the same way. If he started thinking about having a kid or two, he'd come and spend some couple days with us, and then he'd be like, "Yep, nope, I'm good." <laughs> and it wasn't. And they always said it wasn't because we were bad kids. It was just everything that being a kid entailed. Yeah. 
like um, I, for example, as a child, it wasn't that I was a difficult kid. It's just you never knew with me. Um, it was like some days I'd be having a real good day. Some days I'd be having a real bad day. Like my baby brother I talked about earlier with the giraffe. He had a very sensitive stomach, still does, both of us do actually. Um, and he had to have a completely separate formula from his twin sister when they were infants. And his formula cost three times the amount of hers. Mm. So my cousins would see that and they were like, there's no way I'm paying all that money for one can of formula that's only gonna last like two weeks. And I'm like, <laughs> like when they talk about it now, I'm like, so was the baby not supposed to eat? Like I'm confused. But so something interesting just happened here. We went over a few different things. So we went beyond the last question. Yeah. But what just happened here for anybody who's actually listened to the podcast once it's posted, you basically essentially got a taste of all of the other subject matter that we are going to be addressing. Sure did. So this is a sample, this is a snippet, whatever you want to call it, of what's going to be going on because we're going to be going in depth into all of these other topics. We're going to have other people on here giving their perspectives of things. And this is going to be interesting. But um, because I don't know how much more memory we have, I am going to conclude it here for now. But we got a lot to work with here. We do. And um, hopefully we'll be <laughs> a little better prepared <laughs> on the second edition of this podcast. So... Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. Keeping it real. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs>